Welcome to Leading Age Workforce Innovators, a Leading Age podcast. This conversation is part of a series by the Leading Age Center for Workforce Solutions that examines promising practices and innovations to meet workforce challenges. I'm Gene Mitchell, editor of Leading Age Magazine, and today we're speaking with Corinne Pertil and Dan Koff of Quartz, a new media company that offers news and analysis for business people in a global economy. Hello, Corinne and Dan. Hi, how are you? Very good. Hi, how's it going? Very good. Um, I want to start off by asking you about uh, how work of all kinds is changing. You know, in aging services, we're all aware of the mismatch between the exploding aging population and the number of people who can care for them in the future. So based on what you've learned in your work, how do you think the U.S. can solve this workforce problem? I can start there. This is an issue that goes beyond just um, simply elder care. This is part of the sort of reimagining of the future of work that the U.S. is um, is facing right now, how you're going to ensure that a growing number of people who are working outside of the traditional single employer system can continue to provide essential services while also being able to support their families and themselves as essentially you know, part-time or, or freelance or independent contractors. Um, and I think that in this space, Particularly, you can look to the individual states for some interesting ideas uh, that match um, the uh, employment marketplace to to families' needs. Um, you know, Hawaii has just passed a bill that gives caregivers, family caregivers, up to seventy dollars a day, um, either to supplement their own lost wages from assisting a loved one or to pay for additional care. Uh, Washington is currently considering a bill that would give working families up to $100 a day to pay for any type of care that they deem appropriate, both at home or in a facility. Um, and Maine has a ballot initiative coming up this year that would be the most comprehensive uh, effort in the U.S. so far, which would be sort of a state trust fund that guarantees residents uh, access to in-home care. So those are all um, some imaginative, way, imaginative ways of looking at uh, solutions both for families' needs and for workers as well. Good. Uh, this is Dan. And, and from an economic standpoint, uh, one of the most important factors is immigration. Um, I think many of us uh, probably have family members, older family members who uh, get elderly, elderly care. And many of them are getting that care from immigrants um, who are coming from often the Philippines or Haiti or Jamaica. Those are some of the common countries. Um, and that, that, that plays a huge role in the system. And it's a bit under threat at the moment um, as the current administration is interested in limiting immigration that will have a dramatic effect uh, on the costs of an ability for the United States to provide the care for its elderly. And that, so that's a, that's a very important factor. We all know that perceptions are very important. And many people still think of our field of aging services, um, they think of it in terms of the nursing home where their grandparents lived. And they don't really know the rich variety of jobs that now exist in our field in everything from uh, IT to marketing. How would you improve the image of working with older people? What would what do you think would make these careers more attractive? I think that we need to promote a better understanding of, you know, just as you said, how diverse care jobs actually are, um, and to create then a marketplace that would be able to match both clients with people who are in a position to be able to provide the very specific type of services they need. You know, the vast majority of uh, older people who do who do need some 
care assistants are not do not require 24-hour nursing care. A lot of people would can still live quite successfully in their homes, um, but with the with the assistance of you know a part-time regular you know check-in from somebody who can provide meals or you know help with household uh, or tasks or assistance. Um, and those are jobs that would be that would be a lot easier for people new to the field to train into. So I think we need a better understanding of sort of what the the diversity of the the market looks like. Um, but then I think it, it, we'd also be better served by a, just a uh, you know a public understanding of caregiving that honors the value of what this actually is. I mean, this is a call. Like, it's very, it can be extremely challenging work. Um, it can have, you know, many difficult and unglamorous moments, um, but so do all of the other most important jobs in our society. So does nursing, so does teaching, so does caring for children, um, you know, in a, in a variety of ways. And, you know, ensuring that somebody who is approaching the final stage of their life in a way that is with dignity and comfort is a profoundly meaningful way to to spend one's work, um, and it's you know it's a chance to do very important, very valuable work that helps people on the most personal and fundamental level. And I think an understanding of what how much meaning that job can have would 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 help in in attracting committed people to it. In addition to what uh, Corinne was saying on some of the importance of perceptions. There's also just the basic economics of how you know the wages that you get for these jobs, and that's something that will make it more attractive. Um, and one of the, there are two ways that uh, wages can go up. One of them would be through unionization. So if these groups can gain more power um, and the ability to say no, we're not going to be at work for wages below that. Otherwise, you're not going to get anybody. That's one way to do it. And there are groups like the National Domestic Workers Alliance and the Home Care Providers Union that are. Uh, trying to do that. The other way to raise wages is to actually increase the value of the services that are provided. Um, MIT's Sloan School of Management professor Paul Osterman recently wrote a book called Who Will Care For Us that sort of gets into those issues about, okay, well, how do we make these jobs higher status and, and higher paying? And what he gets at is that it would really be increased training and reducing the restrictions on what uh, home care workers can do. Uh, elderly care workers can do. So right now, there are a lot of restrictions on the types of things um, that, what type of care that they can provide. And if they could provide more uh, different types of care, they raises could, the wages could go up. You know, in our field, the greatest workforce challenge concerns the direct care workers, who are the people who care for older adults in assisted living and skilled nursing. They do difficult jobs for not very much money. And uh, on top of that, it looks like the employment picture in the U.S. is uh, improving lately, perhaps enough to give some of those workers more opportunities in other fields uh, for the same money or better money for less difficult work. Uh, so my question for you, is there, is there an analogy in any other field that you've seen where low-income workers have a chance to move elsewhere, but they stay because of the value of the work? I don't think I have a good answer for you for one specific field um, that uh, that sort of makes that perfect analogy. But you know, it certainly does have uh, it certainly does have parallels with other uh, low-income uh, contract work in this country. Um, care workers, in particular, have the triple punch that they are most often women, 
women of color and immigrants, which are all groups whose labor are typically under is typically undervalued um, in the U.S. So, I mean, this, the very short and cynical answer is to uh, recruit more men to care, the caregiving industry. Wages in an industry go up as men enter the field; they go down when men when men exit it. Um, but more broadly, we just need a better safety net that ensures that the ensures protections for workers who who aren't on the traditional, um, you know, on the traditional employment path. Um, Caring across generations, which is the group that uh, Ai Jin Poo, who's one of uh, MacArthur uh, Genius Grant for her work in this space, is in the early stages of designing something that they call universal family care, which would essentially be like a national insurance fund that helps ha- families pay for the help they need all throughout the life cycle, child care, uh, you know, disability care, elder care, all of it. Um, and that's it's in the very early stages, but I think that's one of the most innovative and exciting concepts for how we're going to move the workforce forward here. Yeah, I would say you know, my answer is sort of similar to the last question. Again, um, low-skill workers, they need two things. They need market power and they need skills to make their jobs um, more valuable. And I think similarly for elderly care workers, the profile of um, these jobs will be increased when 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 they have more training and um, they're offering services that other that are competitive and other people can't offer. Earlier, you talked about uh, recruiting immigrants as as one source of new workers. I wanted to ask you about uh, your thoughts on displaced workers, meaning people who uh, have lost jobs in manufacturing or other fields. Um, do you think it's uh, realistic to expect a, a significant number of those folks to become uh, uh, interested in long-term care careers? Um, yeah, I, I think that they certainly will. Um, we see this already. I mean, you'll, you'll, there are a lot more men in nursing already. You know, they've, and, and this is happening in the world. Like, we have a lot of men who used to be in manufacturing or construction that are moving to the service economy and moving to the healthcare economy. I mean, so much of, um, and I, I report a lot on what's happening in labor markets. And probably the biggest story in the labor markets over the last half century is the switch from manufacturing to healthcare. Um, almost all the jobs that were once in manufacturing have been replaced by healthcare, and it's not the same workers, but it's a lot of the same workers. And um, you'll, we will see a lot of um, displaced workers from other areas coming into nursing. Um, that, and, and excuse me, not just nursing, but all sorts of elderly care uh, work. That is uh, definitely going to happen. Many people are concerned that robots will take away the need for their jobs these days. But caring for older people at the end of their lives and for those who are disabled seems to require some human interaction. Do you think there's any reason to think that our field is immune to some future trend towards roboticization? It's definitely not immune, although the sort of literal dystopian vision of what robots in the field looks like of just, you know, that a robot is full-time caring for you or your or your parent or grandparent is an extremely long way off. The first thing that's going to happen is that AI is going to supplement and complement human care in ways that actually is better for both caregivers and recipients. Um, there are sort of two tracks that, that robotics and elder care is, is taking. One is robotics that do things so that humans can focus on the relational aspects of care, the stuff that humans do best. Um, and this would be things like sensors under pillows or mattresses that alert caregivers if somebody is no longer in their bed. Um, 
there's a, a personal assistant called LEQ that's in beta testing right now um, that sort of uh, kind of works with older people as sort of an Alexa style personal assistant, but with some specifications that uh, that also that help them stay connected both with their uh, their families, healthcare providers. Um, there is a robot in very early stage prototype um, out of Trinity College in Ireland, which is meant to do some of the manual work of caregiving, particularly in facilities, putting away laundry, moving objects, um, so that uh, humans can focus on what they do best. Um, and then, you know, on the, uh, there's also a robot called Paro, which is a little baby seal that's actually, that has excellent therapeutic uh, outcomes for older people with dementia and cognitive issues. Um, but it's not really a case where a robot is replacing a human. That's actually more of a case where a robot is replacing a live animal for animal therapy in a setting, in a, uh, setting where uh, um, a live animal would not be a, a practical or appropriate. Um and the idea of a care or companion robot or something that provides more of a therapeutic setting is a really, it's a really long way off, but, but it, there is work in this space. I and mean, China has been doing some, you know, is working on, uh, on companion robots that can assist their, you know, large elderly population. Our colleague C. Chen at Quartz did a fascinating video series on this, um, and, but a robot that can do both of those things reliably, the manual tasks of caregiving and the relational human side of it is a very, very long way off, uh, long enough that the issues that we're talking about now are going to be much more uh, much more relevant than, than the fear of a robot supplanting a caregiver. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with Corinne. And I, I think that, you know, really uh, no industry is immune to the robot trend. Um, and... and uh, Elderly care work is very similar to, to most of the labor market. And what we're seeing in the labor market in general um, is a, a sort of a higher priority on two things. One, social skills, and two, the ability to work alongside robots and understand their strengths and uh, work with them. Um, so, you know, as some of the technical aspects of jobs go away, as uh, robots or computers can do them, um, the, we, we're seeing that people are getting paid more um, and, uh, for their social skills. And this has been shown by the Harvard economist David Deming that just over the last decade, that's one of the main ways that people are increasing their wages is through having strong social skills. The importance of working th with computers is best seen through um, one of my favorite recent studies that, that shows that when they had a chess playing competition and the they had three teams. There was one team that was just computers, one team that is just uh, chess masters, and the third team was chess masters plus computers. And the chess masters pl plus the computers always won because it's the important part is like taking the power of what robots can do and computers can do and combining that with the thought process, human thought processes and emotions. And I think that that's going to be true across the spectrum, including elderly care. It's that the people who can work best with the resources available to them will be the most valuable. Corinne and Dan, thanks for your insights, and thanks for speaking with Leading Age. Thanks very much for having us. Thank you. And thanks for listening to another Leading Age Workforce Innovators podcast. I'm Gene Mitchell. Our producer is Charlie Visconage, and the Center for Workforce Solutions is led by Susan Hildebrandt. You can listen to more Leading Age podcasts on our website, and you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating.